What's up, everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of The Joshua Perry Show. Of course, I am your host, former Buckeye captain and national champion, former NFL player, and current Big Ten Network and 97.1 The Fan Analyst, Joshua Perry. This is the podcast where we talk sports, life, and everything else. We're broadcasting on the Zedia Network. Holler at Zedia Network on Twitter for big-time podcasts and great content. I said this is the show where we talk sports life and everything else but today we're just talking sports and specifically one game i'm giving you the preview the preview the one and only preview that you need for the sugar bowl game ohio state versus clemson it's about to go down i gotta give you what you need you know we need to kind of look at the x and o matchup but this game is very intriguing too because it's not just the x's and o's uh, this game's got a, a little bit of history to it. It's it's starting to bud into a little bit of a rivalry, so I'll get into that uh, before we get into the X's and O's. So Clemson-Ohio State meeting up for the second time in the college football playoff era. First meeting was a Fiesta Bowl in 2016, and Ohio State got thumped 31 to nothing. Uh, there is an argument, actually, based off of that game, that uh, that game was the reason Ohio State hired Ryan Day to become offensive coordinator. Um, and then you got the second matchup, which was just a year ago. Uh, that was another Fiesta Bowl, and Ohio State was on the losing end of that one again. The score was 29-23. to 23. Um, In all, Ohio State and Clemson have met four times in the past, and Ohio State has lost all four of those matchups, and that makes Clemson only one of two programs that Ohio State has matched up with more than once without a victory. I believe the other program is Florida State University. Um, this year's iteration of this matchup between Ohio State and Clemson, in my humble opinion, is made for TV. Clemson is the two seed. Ohio State's the three seed. They end up meeting in very different journeys. Clemson took the more typical road, uh, even during a COVID year, having played 11 games on their schedule. Um, they showed dominance basically in every game except for the blemish that they had in the loss to Notre Dame, uh, where they didn't have their starting quarterback. They had some players missing on their defense, um, and they were able to avenge that uh, loss en route to an ACC championship and the CFP. Ohio State, however, took a much shorter road. Uh, they had a late start. We all know about that. We talked about that here on this show. And I think it hampered Ohio State in a lot of ways, one of them being the fact that they were only able to get five games in the regular season. Uh, they had a late start. They had some cancellations. And, uh, you know, they kind of had to backdoor their way into the Big Ten championship game, uh, circumventing some of the rules that were previously in place where they defeated Northwestern. And ultimately, uh, they earned their way into the college football playoff. And it was a short road. Uh, definitely had some bumps in it. But Ohio State still prevailed. And now this is how we get to this point. Uh, the way that Ohio State made it here, though, I think has been a real point of contention and kind of where this made-for-TV drama starts outside of the history of these two teams matching up recently. You know, you've got the game between two of the perennial powerhouse programs in college football. How about that for some alliteration? Perennial powerhouse programs. Um, you know, you've got all that going on. You've got two of the best coaches in college football. That's all well and good. But now you have a little bit of a subplot off the field. Uh, Dabo Swinney making comments in the media about how Ohio State didn't necessarily deserve to be in the playoff, only having played six games, and how weird it would be for another team to have to win or play in 13 games, and Ohio State would only have to play in eight games to win a national title. 
Um, Dabo went as far as ranking Ohio State at 11 in his coaches poll. And he kind of cited this arbitrary, you have to play nine games to make it into my top 10. And I haven't seen enough from them. Um, Went as far as to say that Clemson had an advantage in game plan because they don't have to watch as many breakdown tapes because Ohio State doesn't have as many games. But Kevin Wilson had a pretty good comeback to that, saying that on his anniversary, instead of spending time with his wife, he was breaking down Clemson versus a Citadel, learning some new good triple option plays. So pretty good there. But you can see it's kind of become a little bit of a, a contentious game just from that standpoint. Ohio State's guys feel ultimately respected, uh, disrespected, excuse me, because of what they're hearing from Clemson and the history of the game having never won this matchup before. Uh, and Clemson, on the other hand, feels like they're playing a team that they, they're probably better than and a team that they don't feel like deserves to be in the same place that they are. So it's going to be really good. A lot of conversation between not only the players on both of these teams and the coaches, uh, but even the fan base is about how this has now become a little bit of an out-of-conference rivalry. We don't necessarily get into these situations where um, there's a team that is basically never on your regular season schedule that you can call a rival. But when you go back to 2013 when I was at Ohio State, that game versus Clemson, you go back to 2016, obviously. You go back to last year. You can even go back um, – you know, way back in the day, you got coaches punching players and stuff like this is a game that has a little bit of substance to it. And the excitement around this game is absolutely tangible. So we've gotten all of that out the way. Like I said, there's a lot of subtext to it. And I think that subtext is great motivation for either team. I think it's something that captivates all of us in a year where we're used to seeing, you know, Sports Center doing their, their broadcasts all week long from the semifinal locations. And we're used to seeing the, the players' press conferences from the ballrooms of hotels at the, the specific bowl locations. We don't have any of that. I think this year, um, having some of the, the little, I don't know, extra bit of excitement between these two teams and the bit of rivalry that's starting to brew definitely adds the excitement that's lacking because of how untraditional this year is but um I want to talk a little bit obviously about the actual X's and O's of this game talk a little bit of ball and, and how I'll do this is I'll talk about when Clemson has the ball and then I'll talk about when Ohio State has the ball and I'll preview the offenses first and then when I'm done previewing the specific team's offense I'm going to talk about the defense's matchup against them and kind of tell you where I think the edge lies within the game so to start when Clemson has the football you go through their offensive line. I think it's a, a good unit that they have. Uh, they protect Trevor Lawrence really well. I think they were uh, the best in the ACC in sacks allowed, meaning that Trevor Lawrence was upright a lot of times. And um, I think that might be a little bit of a factor of how good Trevor Lawrence is as well in decision-making and uh, being able to get out of sticky situations. Uh, also a factor, obviously, of how those guys play up front. And they got decent push in the run game. Clemson's not a team that's like a power run predicated team because they've got good wide receiver talent. They've got a running back who can catch the ball and they've got a really, really good quarterback. They don't rely on that. So they're about middle of the road in the conference in the run game. Um, I think the exterior of their offensive line, so their tackles are better players than the guys they have on the interior of the offensive line. 
Um, and that can create issues when you look at how you build a pocket. The, in, the interior of the offensive line is really important in shaping that cup. And I think that's a place where they can be exploited. And then obviously in the run game, if uh, Clemson has to get into a situation where you, you feel like they need to run to get a yard or two, having that push inside is really important. And I just don't see that there. Uh, so I think they're a little bit vulnerable. When you look at the pass catchers that exist, I think they got uh, legit game busters, specifically Amari Rogers. He's third in the ACC in reception yards per game. Um, he's a guy who just makes a lot of plays. He makes plays on first down when they want to go to the air. He makes plays in the red zone. I think he's got three of his seven touchdown receptions coming in that area of the field. So he's going to be a guy that's going to be really important to match up with. Uh, and obviously, we've seen some of the struggles of Ohio State defensively there, but I think that is a player to watch. They've got Cornell Powell, who I think is a really good playmaker as well. He's a taller guy at about six foot. So that's another situation where uh, they might be able to dictate how they want to get matchups and how they want to use him, especially in a situation where maybe it's got to be a 50-50 ball and you know Trevor Lawrence can put it somewhere where only a tall receiver can catch it. He's a guy that they can use in that situation. But really, in the past game, um, Travis Etienne is the guy that's the X factor for me. He showed pass catching ability all year long. He showed it last year when Ohio State played Clemson. He had like 36 yards on the ground. He went for 98 yards in the air. Uh, one of them was a big screen pass that he took uh, distance. Another one was that pop pass near the end of the game. Um, then that turned out obviously being a really big play, but just his ability to get open and secure the catch is huge. Um, he's a guy who they can move around within formations as well, which is big because of Ohio, the way Ohio State likes to match up on defense. So the ability to use him as a chess piece and incorporate him as really that third receiver behind the, the two guys I named in line to catch the ball is huge. And this comes with him being the best rusher in the history of the ACC. So it's not the fact that um, he can't run the ball. It's the fact that I don't think that's what their plan was on offense this year. And so he's somebody that they definitely got to be on the lookout for. Travis Etienne will take over a game if you let him. Um, but really what it is, is they've got an elite quarterback. Trevor Lawrence might not win the Heisman this year, but he's the best quarterback in college football, in my opinion, this year. He does everything well with his arm, hits the deep ball really well, throws with great touch. He can rifle a fast ball into different windows, whether that's, you know, in, on a, a, a flag route where he's got to get it right there on the sideline, fit it into a window uh, to where only the receiver can catch it, whether it's the, the long out routes that he can get zip on, which is the hardest throw for college quarterbacks to make because the hashes are so wide from that far hash over to the sideline. He makes that throw with ease. Um, and it's the different arm angles he can throw with as well, whether it's just a traditional standing in the pocket, um, you know, waiting for the deep game to develop or he has to kind of sidearm it or throw a funky angle in there. He can do it. Pocket awareness is fantastic. He's got really good field vision. He's a great decision maker. But the difference with him is the way we've seen him run the football. And he did that last year to Ohio State. It really made all the difference in the game, his ability to – to do the quarterback run game on like design quarterback runs was huge. And we've seen him incorporate that this year. He's had games where he's had multiple rushing touchdowns. And so when you look up this offense top to bottom, the 
the reason they're successful, in my opinion, is two guys. It's the elite quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who I think is one of the best players that I've watched recently, and Travis Etienne, who is one of the most versatile players who can take over a game in college football. And so what does that mean for Ohio State when they're on defense? I, I said it earlier, I think Ohio State has the matchup on the interior of the trenches. You got Tommy Togiai, who's done a really good job this year, and Haskell Garrett, who is an All-American. And again, to talk about Haskell Garrett for a sec, um, he got shot in the face earlier this year, and I don't mean to, to say it like that, but like he, you know, that's, that's an injury, and that's something that a lot of guys wouldn't recover from. And he goes from that, like, you know, basically the beginning of the football season to becoming an All-American, uh, really good on him. But I think those guys will be able to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence from the inside of the defensive line, which is huge because of how Ohio State's D-line is structured. It actually kind of plays complementary to the way that Clemson's offensive line is structured. But they'll be able to get pressure there. I think they'll be able to eliminate the inside run game as well. And when I say eliminate, I mean like completely. I think those guys can handle it um, on their own in, in combination with some of the schemes Ohio State likes to run. Um, Ohio State's going to have to challenge at defensive end, and that's a position that we wish was a little bit further along. And if you're a Buckeye fan, you've seen the Joey Bosa's and Nick Bosa's. You've seen the Chase Young's, and now we don't have a guy who's dominant like that. Uh, they're they're going to have to challenge. But I think their biggest key is going to be playing assignment sound in the quarterback run game. So if they're supposed to take the dive on an option play, they take the dive. If they're supposed to sit and play the quarterback, they sit and play the quarterback, and they only do their job there. Um, and to be able to chase Trevor Lawrence when we get pressure on the inside of that that offense, when, when the interior D line is able to get that pressure, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to flush out of the pocket, and our guys are going to have to be in chase mode, and they're going to have to be able to – uh, take over in that situation and make the play. Um, so, like I said, Clemson is strong at the tackle position. We're a little bit lacking there, but I think the fact that we can get that push from the inside really takes the heat off of our guys um, at Ohio State on on really getting that pressure off of the edge. And so, I think there's a slight advantage for OSU across that defensive front now. Ohio State's linebacker room, which I think has done a great job all season long of handling everything that's been thrown at them. They're going to have the challenge, and that challenge is handling the quarterback run game and handling Travis Etienne. Ohio State runs a lot of single coverage. They run man-to-man. Um, they, they run a lot of three deep as well, but really you see those guys uh, matched up, and you can tell on tape because teams – will flex out a running back and they'll do what's called an ID motion. So the running back will start flexed out uh, wide, you know, like near the sideline and the quarterback will wave him back in. And when you see the linebacker lined up wide and then he comes back in and lines up over top of that running back when he's in the backfield, you know, it's man to man coverage. Um, and so when they have those guys in man to man, it becomes a really good run defense. You've got, Everybody's got a gap. They're singled up. The responsibilities are very simple. Uh, help simplify the quarterback run game, all of that. But the stress comes when they leave Travis Etienne out there or when they run him out of the backfield 
uh, to the side where I've seen Clemson do it. They run a bunch formation. They run the running back out to that side, and they try to pick off the linebacker who's covering him and get E.T. in some room where he's really hard to catch. That's where the matchup becomes difficult. But I like what I've seen from Pete Warner in the past game. I like what I've seen from Baron Browning in the past game. I like what I've seen from Justin Hilliard in man coverage. And so I think that those guys will be able to figure out what it is. I think Ohio State's also going to be smart enough to maybe not uncover the coverage so early um, to the point where, you know, they're, they're doing those ID motions and you're giving it right away. I think Ohio State's going to try to have a little bit more disguise. Um, the other thing that I think Ohio State's going to do is they're going to, they're going to run enough blitzes to really keep Clemson uncomfortable up front. And I think that's really important. And blitzes will expose you in the back end of your defense. But if you got guys who can get there, uh, really flusters a quarterback. And I'll talk about that, actually, when we get to the Ohio State on offense versus Clemson on defense matchup. But that's something to look at there. But where things can go sideways and where things have gone sideways for Ohio State this year is the secondary. Um, They're the worst secondary in the Big Ten in terms of pass yards per game. And they're facing a good wide receiver group. And I don't necessarily think – some people disagree with me on this. I don't necessarily think that Clemson's wide receivers are light years ahead of anything that Ohio State has seen so far this year. And especially from the number one wide receiver, I think we've seen a couple of guys who are pretty good number ones um, that should have prepared Ohio State for this game. Um, but they're still very good, and it's going to be a challenge. For me, there's no reason to believe that Ohio State will have Sean Wade follow Amari Rogers around the field. And they didn't have Sean Wade do that earlier on this year. I don't think that's something that they want to build into the scheme. And so Clemson's going to have their opportunities on offense to make adjustments so they can pick the matchups in a sense. So they can try to get Amari Rogers. Um, on, a, on a certain side of the field against certain players to try to expose what Ohio State has going on. Ohio State's going to have to rely on some of the pass rush and some of the blitzes uh, to get that extra pressure so the receivers don't have a ton of time to let the routes develop and our coverage guys can cover uh, for a little bit longer. But I think as long as Trevor Lawrence is throwing the ball, that advantage for the wide receivers versus the DBs is always going to go to Clemson because he's a guy, regardless of if players are covered, he can throw them open. He can, he can, like I said, make every single pass out there and it makes it really difficult when you're a defensive back to compete against that. Now flipping it over to when Ohio state has the ball, I think the trenches are going to be huge in this game. Ohio state had the best rush offense in the big 10, uh, behind an offensive line that I feel like is pretty solid, especially in the run game. Uh, The thing where they struggle is they've given up sacks. And I think it's a very similar story to where they've given up some pressure on the interior of the offensive line. And I think it's specifically been at the hands of one player for a lot of the season. And I'm not going to say who, but I have a feeling that Clemson, as they watch the tape, They know exactly which player on that offensive line that they're going to want to put in conflict. And for people just kind of taking that next step into how um, defensive football is played, you attack protections. And a lot of times protections are dictated by the defense where 
your alignment can dictate which way a protection is going to turn where you even if you're not dictating it a lot of times you can guess where the protection is going to be turned by the way the running back is aligned or if there's a, a tight end that's off the ball you can know where the the protection is going to go based off of some of that as well and once you're able to dictate or recognize the protection uh, you can figure out which player goes in conflict. And so a lot of times we'd like to put certain players in what we call the turnstile. If you ever, you know, been through like a subway or whatever, that little thing that spins around, you know, like counts of people, it, it kind of meters of people coming in and out. That's what you want that player to look like. You want to put, you know, players going in opposite directions, somebody crossing his face and then somebody else coming back around. Um, and you want to really confuse that player. You want to make them move their feet. Uh, you want to make them make a decision, and hopefully it's the wrong one. And I think Clemson might – they might try to attack um, a certain side of Ohio State's offensive line by putting players in conflict. But overall, if Ohio State can find ways to uh, make sure that they're dictating the protection to help out uh, specifically uh, where they're weak, I think that'll be fine. And I, I think Ohio State can run the ball on anybody, even though some folks felt like the rush offense wasn't where they wanted it to be. Like I said, best in the Big Ten Conference, and some teams could only run the ball this year. So uh, credit to Ohio State there. And credit, obviously, on the O-line, but you look at the running back room, and, and it's a very solid room. Master Teague has had a solid season after coming off an Achilles injury, and people wanted, um, you know, the return of J.K. Dobbins from Master Teague's play, and it just wasn't something – that I thought was going to happen. I thought it was going to be a running back by committee type situation. And we saw Master gave us some really good runs, maybe didn't have the the game-breaking breakaway type plays that we saw from um, JK a year ago. But I think he really has given us some, some really good runs. And then we saw what Trey Sermon could do in the Big Ten Conference Championship game. He, I mean, a hell of a time. And he had entered that game with like, 344 rushing yards on the season and ended the game with 331 rushing yards, broke the Ohio State rushing record, broke the record for all conference championship games across all conferences. Like the dude is, is a guy who can take over a game if the opportunity presents itself. And I think it's going to be incumbent on Ohio State to run the ball intentionally and let those guys have their chances at it. Um, but when you have a wide receiver room like Ohio State has, I can understand why maybe you have a pass-first mentality. Um, you look at the duo of Wilson and Olave, and I, I ask the question legitimately, what teams have guys that can match up with both of them? And for me, I don't think Clemson has those guys that can match up one-on-one -on -one single coverage with both of them. I really don't. And then you start adding some of the depth players that Ohio State has. You, you look at the tight ends that Ohio State has. You look at even a guy like Jamison Williams, who maybe hasn't had um, a huge stat year, but he's a guy who can threaten you because he's very fast and he's a good athlete. Um, that is going to be a place where I think Ohio State can create an advantage. And so um, the, the final link on that offense is Justin Fields. And Justin Fields in my opinion, is an elite player who hasn't played elite every game this year. And the two biggest ones that stand out are against the two best teams that Ohio State's played, against Indiana, where Justin Fields threw for 300 yards, but also threw three interceptions. Um, and I'll talk about kind of those two, inter 
two of the interceptions on one of them. And then against Northwestern where uh, he had a little bit of trouble getting started. And then, um, you know, he hurt his thumb, but it was the worst completion percentage of his career. I think the least amount of yards he threw for in his career as well at Ohio State. Uh, just a difficult game for him. But I have reason to believe that he'll play better um, just because it's, that's been kind of what he's been most of his career. He's had literally now uh, two bad games in all of the starts that he's made at Ohio State. And so if I'm going based off of conventional wisdom for Justin Fields, it would be that he would have a good game. But I think the game is going to come for him with decision-making. Uh, two of the interceptions that Justin Fields threw against Indiana came from bad decisions. He just chucked the ball up. I don't know why, and the other team came away with it. That's a, a rough situation, um, something that he's got to get corrected up. I think some of the, the sacks that Ohio State's offensive line has given up fall on Justin holding on to the ball. And I, I understand when you have really good receivers, you like to let the plays develop downfield, and I cannot fault him on that. Um, but at some point, you either got to pull the ball down and run, or you just got to toss the ball away, which I, I just – I don't think college quarterbacks nowadays like throwing the football away because they don't like seeing their completion percentage go down. Uh, and that's a different conversation for a different day. But Justin's going to have to be decisive. Um, he's going to have to take care of the ball, make really good decisions with it. And really, he's going to just have to rely on his teammates to make plays. Like, I think part of the, the issues were the fact that he was pressing because he was trying to have a Heisman moment or he felt like he needs to be the guy to win the game. And now there's no Heisman. You're not in the race anymore, which is a shame, but it's just a reality. So you don't have to worry about that. And you've got really good players around you saw what Trey Sermon can do, and we know what the wide receivers can do. So Justin doesn't have to do everything. And I think that the coaches have probably iterated that to him um, and, and made sure that he understands that. But that is definitely going to be one of the keys. Now, Justin has also thrown a couple of interceptions in this situation, which I think that he has to avoid too. And Clemson secondary is not what it was a year ago, but we saw Isaiah Simmons uh, really break on a ball that Justin Fields left in the air for a little bit too long, intercepted on the sideline. And then we saw against Indiana where Justin Fields threw late over the middle of the field. And again, the ball was in the air just a little bit too long with not enough oomph on it, and it was intercepted. And so for Justin, it's not only being decisive in where he's going to go with the ball, but on some of those throws, he's really got to rip it. Like he's really got to rip it um, because – you know, you're probably playing better players in the secondary a little bit faster, and those guys know how to break on the ball. So that's my Ohio State offense. When I look at Clemson on defense, it becomes really interesting. Um, Clemson has a good D-line unit and a good linebacker unit, but I think that the units are better as a collective than the individual players that comprise the unit, if that makes sense. Like, I look at that defensive line, and – um, the players are very good college football players, but I don't think that there is an overpowering game breaking type of player like we have seen. And I look at the linebacker room and again, they've got names. I'm not trying to disparage any of their guys because I respect all of them. I think they're all very good players, but you know, there's, there's not Isaiah Simmons doesn't exist on that defense. Like that guy is not there. Um, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. But the thing that they do have, is a great coach and he knows how to scheme the hell out of some football and so those guys are always in position to make plays they always know how to read their keys and they're on their assignments all the time 
Those guys know how to, to play a, a fairly physical brand of football, and their coach always puts them in a really good position. And so when you get into that scenario where you have guys who know how to be aggressive and get downhill on blitzes and you have guys who are comfortable with that, it applies pressure to the offense. Brent Venables, also the defensive coordinator for Clemson, does a fantastic job of stealing signals and stealing signs from teams. Um, Notre Dame ended up, I think, in the first matchup going with a, a wristband in a huddle to try to avoid that. And it gave Clemson fits because there was a little bit more guesswork involved in the way that that game was called for them defensively. And I think it really put Clemson's defensive staff in a bind because they didn't have the same edge that they would typically have. And so I think Ohio State is going to have to deal with that. And they probably have some answers created on what they would do uh, if they felt like Clemson was stealing their signals. And I know last year that's exactly how they felt. Um, just, you know, the, the tone of talking to some of the people over there. Uh, I think that they, Ohio State felt like Clemson knew what they were calling because they, they had a, a good beat on uh, what the signals were. So that'll be it. But I think in saying all this craziness, talking about the signals and, and the D-line, the blitzes and everything, that's the key for Clemson. The key for them is up front. It's, it is literally um, confusing the hell out of quarterbacks they're going against. They like to be solid in their run defense so they can force passing situations and they just want to confuse quarterbacks because I think they realize that their secondary is not as good as they typically are. I watched Clemson secondary on tape and um, I, I have questions about if they can keep up with what Ohio State can do through the air. And that's why I think Justin is going to be big in this game. That's why I think the receivers are going to be big. And truly, that's why the run game is big too because you want to attract – some of those players from the secondary closer to the line of scrimmage having to think about defending the run and it gives the receivers an opportunity to get single coverage or it gives the receivers an opportunity to run past those guys because there's not as much of a cushion. Um, but they're, they're a team who, when you flip on the tape, if there wasn't a, a sack or if the quarterback wasn't running for his life, you see opposing offenses players just running scot-free through their secondary. I mean, there, there were a number of plays from the second time where they played Notre Dame where I watched Notre Dame's receivers get open and Ian Book was running for his life or he was already on his back. And Ohio State protection is key, making sure that Justin can be upright. And then if you're Justin Fields, this is a situation where you definitely you want to be smart with the football, but you're going to take your chances and maybe holding the ball a little bit longer because you know that's exactly what Clemson secondary is going to give. So if I had to create some edges, I think Ohio State versus Clemson in the run game, um, kind of you know D-line linebackers versus O-line running backs is um, going to be a little bit of a wash to maybe a slight edge for OSU based off of the one-two punch of what they can have with um, Master Teague, which I'm hearing that he's going to be healthy and Trace Sermon. Um, when it comes straight up Ohio State's receivers versus Clemson secondary, um, I would take Ohio State's receivers and Justin Fields throwing them the ball all day long. It'll just be a question of will they have time to let the plays develop. So 
Um, that was kind of my breakdown. I, I've got a lot of respect for this matchup, and I think this is really the one. Like the other semifinal game, in my opinion, is not going to be that interesting. I think that Alabama, uh, when I watch them, I get I get real nervous because I think they're a great team. I've, I've got nothing but respect for Nick Saban because uh, I think he – I mean, obviously his reputation – shows it but I think he's a great coach he knows how to prepare for these big games um, Notre Dame is a team that has struggled in these types of situations playing kind of some of the big boys we saw their last outing they they got trounced I mean it was pretty much a blowout against Clemson um, which leaves a bad taste in their mouth and then even when you listen to Brian Kelly talk you know he he's like there's no pressure on us and you know it's it's we're we're here and we're proud to be here and it doesn't mean you know, it doesn't mean this and it doesn't mean that. And, and I think he's kind of trying to soften the blow of a loss before the loss even happens, which is a weird place to be in for a coach. And so it's not this, it's not that game. It's, it's this semifinal, that's the game. And I know that there are people nationally who think that Clemson has a, a pretty big edge over Ohio State and they think it might be a double digit margin. Um, you know, I think the line is sitting maybe at like seven and a half points uh, that Clemson's favored by, but I think this is a, a pretty evenly matched game. You've got two of the best coaches in college football. You've got uh, an offensive coordinator for Clemson and Tony Elliott, who's really good. You've got Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson calling offense for Ohio State, and both of them are elite play callers. Um, you look defensively. you got Brent Venables, which I think is definitely an edge um, for Clemson, but you look at I think just the, the production of the front seven as the collective unit for Ohio State when it comes to stopping the run. Um, and, and really when it comes to getting that push on the interior, I think that becomes a really good matchup. And then um, the quarterbacks in this game. I mean, you've got, you've got two guys who are fantastic college football players. They're going to be probably two of the top three quarterbacks drafted, if not the top two quarterbacks drafted this year. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's the setup. It's a prime time game. It's all of the excitement. I can remember back now, I'm going to get a little nostalgic here before I get out of here, but I remember back to being an underdog going to play in a sugar bowl, wearing the white jerseys with the gray stripes on them, like Ohio state's going to be wearing in this upcoming game. Clemson, I don't think has won a sugar bowl. So, uh, you know, that favors Ohio state definitely just kind of in the setup, but um, this is the exciting one. I love, literally love this matchup. I think it's going to be a very exciting, explosive game. We'll probably see a ton of offense. If I had to give a score prediction right now, I'm going 38-35 in favor of the good guys. I think Ohio State wins this game. They punch their ticket to Miami to play in a national championship game, which I would believe would be against Alabama. And when we get there, I'll, I'll get you the preview for that one. But really, really exciting. And uh, looking forward to this one. So on that, I'm going to wrap it. I'm not doing anything else. I wanted to get a good preview out there for you. Um, as always, got to thank my producer, Andrew Zolden, for hooking this thing up and really kind of, you know, giving some suggestion on some content there. And it's been a really wonderful year with everybody, too. I know we're coming up on the end of 2020, and it's, it's obviously difficult, but just the support that we've gotten for this show and support I've gotten personally from friends and family and uh, different people, colleagues, etc. Throughout all the different ventures I've been involved in, I'm very thankful for and looking forward to a great 2021. So happy new year to everyone. I am Joshua Perry and this is the Joshua Perry Show.